Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello and welcome to this series six, episode nine of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that whenever you're listening to this, you're having a good day. I've still got quite a croaky voice. I had that horrible cold that's not COVID. Oh, I was sick as a dog. I was really ill for, I guess when you're listening, I don't know when you're listening to this, but a few days ago, I was really poorly and um, it was taken taken to my bed like a Victorian child. It was terrible. Um, so if any of you are fighting flu and cold and maybe even COVID, I hope that you're doing okay because, oh, it's been chilly. It's been ever so cold. It's just in the lead up to Christmas. If you've listened to this podcast before, you probably know that I'm very, very into Christmas. Our tree arrives in a couple of days, which I'm very excited about. Actually, by the time this goes out, our tree will be in our house, which I'm very excited about. I can't wait to put all the baubles up and for it to look all festive and for me to shout, Alexa, play Christmas music. But if you're not a festive person, I hope that you have, uh, I hope that you're still having a very nice month. Anyway, that, you're not here to hear about me witter on about how much I like Christmas, are you? You're here to hear an interview with a brilliant person. And I've got one today. Don't you worry. I've got a brilliant interview with Tom Reed Wilson, who I just love. He is the most charming, gorgeous man that I delighted in spending an hour with. And I think we're going to become proper friends, which, you know, I love it when that happens. I can't wait to share that with you. But as always, I have a couple of listener emails to share with you before we get into the conversation. Okay, let's start here. Hi Susie, I hope you're having a nice week. I've been an avid listener from the beginning and I save your podcasts for my dog walk or for what I'm feeling in the need of some mindfulness. All I can really say is what everyone else has said to you, thank you. Susie, thank you for being you <laughs> and thank you for doing what you do. I think that sums it up. That's very kind of you to say. My coming out story so far is as follows. When I think back to my younger years, I suppose I did enjoy attention from older women. When my teenage friends had crushes on boys, I always smiled and agreed when inside I presumed I was just a late developer. Fast forward to my 20s and I've been in a series of foul relationships with men. I really struggled to find a man I could tolerate for more than a few weeks, which when I say it so bluntly, I know sounds horrendous. I presume the problem was me as I really struggled to find any sort of connection with a man which went any further than friendship. I remember after breaking up with the last guy I ever dated and going back to the drawing board, brackets, Tinder, only to mindlessly sweep left again and again to guys I had no interest in. Then a thought entered my mind. What if I looked for a woman instead? The thought made my heart pound in my chest. I felt a nauseous but thrilling sensation at the same time. Do I dare? Dare I did. And wow, I got it. 
This is what everyone was talking about. This sense of excitement and actual interest in going on dates had arrived. Everything made perfect sense now. How had I been so blind? Don't get me wrong, I was still terrified at the idea of going out on a date with a girl, but also strangely excited. I would always change my Tinder preferences back to men whenever I was meeting up with my friends in fear that they would take my phone and try and find a match for me and, shock horror, find out my preferences were set to women. But fast forward a few months and I was officially out. I was dating an amazing woman and I couldn't be happier. It saddens me that I wasted so much time dating men that I simply wasn't into and feeling so low thinking that something was wrong with me. But to make peace with that, I've had to think that everything happens for a reason. I'm now 31 and happily married to my beautiful wife. I wish my younger self had had access to a podcast like this. Maybe seeing the representation would have helped me come to the realisation earlier. So I guess what I want to say is, <laughs> you're a star for doing what you do, Susie. Thank you and all the best to you, your wife and your daughter. Um, and that's from Gemma. Thank you, Gemma. Um, I always feel a bit embarrassed when I'm reading out the nice things that people say, but I also want to share them because it's lovely. Um, oh, I, I, I really relate to so much what you're saying. I did come out... Um, I don't know if I came out earlier than you, who knows? But um, I was in my early 20s. And I think that, you know, the lack of representation in, in the media for people like us, I think especially for women, obviously uh, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, for everybody else in the LGBTQIA plus community. But for lesbians, it, it does feel like there's, you know, there's, there's not as much for us. And, uh, and representation is key. And that is what this podcast is all about, as you well know. So thank you for getting in touch and thank you for saying that, Gemma. Okay, let's have one more before we get into today's conversation. Hi, Susie. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I enjoy it every week and I love listening to the stories and the guests. I just wanted to get in touch to say thank you so much. My son has recently come out and whilst he doesn't listen to this podcast, I'm encouraging him, but he's a bit too cool for school at the moment. I know that this podcast is helping me and his dad so much. It's really helped us get an understanding of what he's going through and how he's feeling. And it's just let me know him a little bit more. So this is just a really quick note to say thank you. I know that there'll be other parents that listen to this show trying to get insights into their kids and the work that you're doing really, really helps. We're coming to see you in Manchester in the new year and we really, really can't wait. We are bringing our son along and I know that when he meets you, he will love you as well. Well, I can't promise that. I don't know. I don't know, but I hope that he does. Anyway, really enjoy the pod. Thanks for everything you do and have a lovely Christmas. And that is from Jane. Thank you, Jane. Your email really made my heart sing. I love it when parents care that much and we all should, shouldn't we? But it is just so lovely that a parent is doing all that work to understand their kid. Right, my croaky voice be gone. Why don't we go and have a fantastic conversation with Tom Reed Wilson? And yeah, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. I'm very excited to share today's guest with you. It is the splendid Tom Reed Wilson. Now you'll know him as the hilarious receptionist on Slebs Go Dating, who delivers brilliant one-liners and innuendos pitch perfectly. He's also appeared on numerous TV shows, including Best Celebrity Home Cook, Mary Berry's Fantastic Feast, 8 Out of 10 Cats, and Celebrity Mastermind, to name a few. A trained performer and a graduate of the Royal Academy of Music, he has performed all over the world. Tom is a wonderfully skilled linguist and has recently released two books, not one, but two in the same year, <laughs> all about the English language. On the tip of my tongue, the perfect word for every occasion, which, I mean, 
I'm go- I've asked for a copy of Christmas from my wife. And <laughs> Every World Tells a Story, a rip-roaring tour of some of the most astonishing and amusing words that we know. I am delighted, thrilled, excited and chuffed to have him <laughs> on the show today. Hello, Tom. <laughs> What a lovely intro. Well, I said to you, oh, I was so worried about your intro because you are so verbose and you know all all of the words and I feel like I know about seven words that I have in rotation. Oh, shush. And you had done your homework in spades. Well, a little. In spades. I'm dazzled by that. (laughs) Well, of course. Of course you're dazzled. Um, And this feels like serendipity because what you can't see is behind Susie, there's this tremendous bookshelf Mm -hmm. and there are about three logophiles tomes. There's one, the 20th century uh, words from the OED. There's uh, all the words. I saw another one a moment ago as well. So it feels like kismet, <laughs> you know, that we're here. What's, logophile means someone that's very into words. Yes, uh, from the Greek philos meaning to love and logos meaning words, a lover of words. And I think probably my favourite word of all at the moment, although it changes all the time, is philomuse, which is a lover of all the arts, a lover of all the muses, because the nine muses between them represented poetry and sacred poetry and erotic poetry and music and dance and all of those things. So, And since I love all of those things, not so much the sacred poetry, but everything else, mm-hmm. I'm sort of a philomuse. Wow. I think you are too, Susie. Well, I just, I, yeah, I'm into bits and bobs, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like Dilettante is another word. I oh, love. that's good. What does that mean? Sort of, uh, well, a dilettante is kind of a jack of all trades, really, but not necessarily a master of none. A dilettante? Um, you know, oh, I like that. Just likes to sort of flirt with lots of different things oh, to yeah. remain stimulated. Oh, that's good. I like that a lot. Have you always been, were you a very sort of learned little boy? Well, my dad was an English teacher before he retired. And he was, uh, I say was, uh, is, he's very much still with us. <laughs> but um, he was a magical person to grow up at the knee of, you mm. know, because he had no other channel for children and he would talk in these wonderful polysyllables that would rain down about us and it was really quite mesmeric I mean I remember one time around this time of year when we passed this beautiful beautiful Christmas window display and I think I was about eight and he said to me what a beautiful arresting window display Hmm. Window, van der Auge from the Dutch, the wind's eye. Nothing to do with glass, everything to do with the breeze dancing in and out of the holes in buildings. And I thought, wow, every word tells a story. It really does. Uh, and uh, I grew up thinking that. And and then as I got older and I had sproglets in my own life because I've got three godkids mm-hmm. and two nephews one on the way, who might be in the world by the time this is out. Oh, actually. wow, that's exciting. Very exciting. And I wanted to impart that in the same way to them. And yes. Touch wood, I think it's working. You're, <laughs> am I right in thinking that your, your great-grandfather, your grandfather and your dad were all teachers at... Yeah, God, you really have done your homework. No, yes. you Bradsfield? Is yes, that, is Bradfield. Bradfield. And, Bradfield. Uh, and without Bradfield College, I wouldn't exist because... Uh, my mum was the daughter of a French master there. Mm. And when she was, I guess, she was still living at home 
she was about sort of 20-ish. And it was a little bit like the Truman Show. In that <laughs> they would forget there was a world outside, you know. And uh, Was it a set? Did they get to the end? Of the, you're like, oh, it, it ends. It's, just, it it's not real trees. <laughs> it does feel like that on a college campus sometimes. So tell me about you that. Know. So did that mean that you went to that school? No. So eventually... Uh, they thought they ought to sprout wings a little bit because sure. my maternal grandparents were, you know, across a field and uh, they kind of co-raised us. And it was lovely in lots of ways. But I think that an English master's role came up uh, at Pangbourne College, which right. was about 10 minutes down the road. Right. Um, my dad thought, well, this seems right. And uh, maybe it's time that we sort of... So was your dad's life sort of always there up until that point? If your grandfather taught there as well? Uh, no, well, so uh, it was my maternal grandfather. Oh, sorry, okay. And then my dad had this amazing career in sailing prior to teaching. Oh. He was, now let me get this right. Well, don't get the words wrong, Tom. No, I mustn't. Because you simply mustn't. He was... Uh, the national fireball champion of 1979. And fireballs were these tremendously zippy, tiny, tiny dinghies. They really went at an absolute clip and they were very hard to sail. You'd have tiny crews. I act like I know what I'm talking about. Well, so when you said tiny crew, just for the listener, you sort of made your... It sounded like it was a borrower by how you did your hand. <laughs> yes, tiny. They thought you fight playing these tiny people. Yes, we not put them in, in the boat. <laughs> Although daddy says that has an impact too, actually, really? funny enough, because you have to hang right over the side of it sometimes. Oh, but, so you're um, using you your weight. very intrepid. It's yeah. extraordinary. But he was also, he, he uh, was such a success that particular year that he was nominated for Sports Personality of the Year. Wow! And he always jokes that he had about three votes. <laughs> because I think <laughs> Doesn't matter, three is better than none. Three is better than none. And, you know, as we always say in the arts, the nomination is the important thing. <laughs> yes, of course. None of us mean it, but we all None say of it. us mean it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just lovely to be recognised. It's lovely to be working. Um, <laughs> but it'd be much better to have awards. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. 
and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So, Pang... Pangborn, Pangborn, yes. yes. Pangborn College. So that's where your dad taught? Yes, and that's really... That's the first home I really remember well. Um, I sort of remember in a very nebulous kind of a way moving there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I remember vividly growing up there. And it was lovely, especially when the boys had gone home, um, because we'd sort of shin over the fence and skinny dip in the pool and do all kinds of things that we weren't allowed to there and then there was a walled garden behind the house and these amazing very plump damsons grew Mm. on the wall and it was in some ways we were kind of living our halcyon days and in other ways not right and it was less halcyon when I attended the school right (laughs) <laughs> right. Okay. So just to give, so we have listeners like who are from all all across the world. Yes. To this. I'm trying to imagine what it might look like. So I've been to like sort of, not that I went there, but I've been to like Oxford College and yes. and, I've, and, I've, and I've I've been to Eton. One of my friends went to Eton and I went and had a nose round. So is it is it that sort of place like very old buildings, beautiful lawns? Not quite as posh as right, that. Okay. Um, <laughs> there were I mean, many more porter cabins right. okay, okay, okay. Uh, instead of classrooms. But no, it was very pretty, especially sure? um, botanically pretty. Because right. we had these amazing woods and actually they were a very well-beaten path as I grew older because uh, when my mum and dad divorced eventually it's a very long story but my mum eventually moved back onto campus with another gentleman and they had houses either side of the bluebell walk and so I would walk up and down these amazing bluebell woods which were just extraordinary and very very pretty I mean it was just a carpet of purple Mm. as far as the eye could see about sometimes eight times a day you know if it was the summer holidays yeah and one didn't have to worry about forgetting things either because you know it was so close by yeah is it normal then for sort of teachers when you say your dad was the English master is it normal for them to live on campus in those sorts of schools yes I think so there were a few people that um if I paint it geographically Mm -hmm. the kind of topography of Pangborn is that there's a there's an amazing sort of tour and on top of this hill on on the crest of the hill is the school really and then the village itself which is where my mum lives now Mm -hmm. um is at the bottom of the hill and you often see it on the news because the Thames forever bursts its banks and you get irate residents in stilts (laughs) standing in their garden and that's very very pretty and hasn't changed much. And it's sort of, it's very famous. Oh, now I think global listeners will recognise mm-hmm. this because the wind in the willows is set there. Yes. And it's that little pocket of the Thames. It's about halfway between the Isis where the Thames begins in Oxford and London where it gets very, very fat. And it's just fattening up a little bit. Yes. And, uh, and that's why it sort of is apt to burst its banks. But that's where... 
ratty and moldy and and, and you grew and, up. and I grew up yes yes but luckily we were safe from the flooding on the on the crest of the hill that was one of the perks and so is it is it usual for um the the teachers the schoolmasters children to then go to that to those schools well i think what happened in my case mm-hmm. was that the arts led me there curiously because before i was old enough to go they kept saying to my dad, I, I guess by virtue of, you know, doing something like South Pacific, mm-hmm. uh, this big Rodgers and Hammerstein musical where the oldest characters are played by 16-year-olds. Yes, in sort and of the, that lovely makeup where you draw the lines <laughs> yes, here and, and talcum here. powder, yeah, in the liberally hair. in the hair, um, and especially on the temples, <laughs> and everybody sneezing. But I, because I was, you know, prepubescent, uh, if they had me on stage, by virtue of me being on stage before I went to the school, they all looked a little bit older. Yes. So they recruited me and other kind of um, children of faculty members who liked to sing and dance a yes. bit. And so I played one of the children in South Pacific years and years before I went to the school. I mean, about a good five years mm. before. And I was so enraptured by the arts there that I did have a very kind of stealthy, quiet campaign <laughs> to to go, sort of thinking that that was the whole kit and caboodle. And then, yes. and then I got there and I had to polish cannons and um, I had to march at eight o'clock in the morning and I had these very itchy old nautical uniforms and uh, the divisions were run like a ship. And there was a lot that I hadn't countenanced, you know, when, yes. when I had... My kind say, of... It wasn't quite South Pacific. No, it wasn't quite South Pacific. No, or it was, but <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. But like the actual plot, and not yes, like okay. the not Rogers being on stage. Musical. Yes, yes. So, so, what was that like then when you went to uh, to secondary school, and you was that sort of confronting when you realised it was something that you didn't yes, expect? Yes. And I think that, you know, my primary school days were blissfully happy. Mm. And I really felt like a very big fish in a small pond, you know, mm. and I, I had played the lead in, in the last show that we did there. And yeah. um, I had sort of lots of friends. And, you know, before puberty, I felt rather prepossessing. And then I hit puberty and I didn't. Everything grew at a different mm. rate and I sort of felt a bit like a Picasso portrait. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, you really paint um, a picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, Susie. Um, but yes, and for all manner of reasons, I did feel like a very curious creature there. Mm. But I think that was a very important beginning for me because... I had never felt like a curious creature before. Mm. And I think I had to learn to be acutely uncomfortable as a curious creature to then learn how important to me being a curious creature was to then eventually learn how to celebrate being a curious creature. And that whole process, I think, took about seven years and... To get to a really celebratory level, I think it took another 10. But mm. the beginning of that epiphany happened around the time I, I left that school. About my kind of last term at that school, I thought, if I celebrate it, no one can get me. You know? Yes, because it's an ownership. 
It's an ownership. And, you know, it was all manner of things. It was my queerness, but it was also my androgyny. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, things, for example, now, like whenever I'm on the radio... I get mistaken for Angela Lansbury and Vanilla Fielding <laughs> and Anna Blackman. Wouldn't mind, but they're all dead for a start. Well, but yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Peace, Angela. I, used to, I used to cling to Angela because I was like, well, at least she's alive. Yeah. You know? People are listening, thinking, oh, they must have psychic Sally in. <laughs> she's doing a great reading. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, these days, uh, I hear that all the time. And, uh, and I... And A, tickled and B, rather flattered. But then I would have been mortified. Yes. I would have been mortified. It's so often, isn't it, the things that we really... Oh, that we really fight against in ourselves that we find sort of quite shameful. Like, I I didn't... For a long time, I didn't really talk about the the real version of me on stage. I didn't really talk about, like, my family and my sort of working-class heritage and how sort of rough and tumble my my family are. And then it seemed as soon as I started sort of talking about that and owning that, people were like, oh, we... Oh, we understand you a bit now because you're being yourself. Yes. You're being, you're sort of, you're, yes. you're, you, you're not ashamed. You're not hiding this part of yourself. Not that I was ever ashamed of, of my family or anything like that, but I sort of wanted to be, I guess I wanted to be like the other sort of middle class comedians that were coming through yes. at that point that were all university educated and, and I wasn't. I think in that regard, we have quite a lot in common because, you know, you mm. went to drama school, yes. didn't you? And as did I. Yes. And I think, Two things were happening contemporaneously. One is that, you know, they they were being more celebratory of, of accents and mm-hmm. diversity in that way. Yes. But there was still a sort of thing of you must master RP mm-hmm. uh, for Shakespeare, for Coward, yeah. for Wilde, for yeah, yeah. all of these things. But where they were extremely backward in in our day yes um was was with one's queerness because they thought that that was going to be extremely prohibitive when it came to casting Mm -hmm. and so i was always i mean i was playing absurd roles that i would never never be cast (laughs) yes and i oh god i mean like eugene o'neill and and in musicals i was always playing things like um Billy Bigelow and Curly and I I mean it was just ridiculous here he comes Bill Sykes (laughs) yes exactly it was it was faintly ridiculous and but then I guess (laughs) he was Curly last series (laughs) and I've never been afraid of typecasting Mm. anyway I sort of would much sooner flex my muscles in something that suits me yeah you know but I suppose we were the last day before like the Jamies came along yes. and, and Dear Evan, Han- Dear Evan Hansen yes. and all of those wonderful things. It was, I mean, you had in musicals, there was Le Cajot Fall yep. and there was Cabaret. Cabaret, yes. And mm. Victor Victoria to Pinch. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so there wasn't much, I suppose. And there's still not an awful lot. I mean, no, the there's not enough. women... I mean, there's Fun Home. I don't know if you've seen oh, that. That's I loved amazing. Fun Home. Yeah, did you so see it at the Young Vic? Yeah, I did. I just... With Jenna Russell. Yeah, I just cried the whole time. I wept and wept and wept. I went with my cousin and they were flanking me and needed a Macintosh. I mean, it was... <laughs> Has anyone got a brolly? <laughs> Tom seems to be having a moment. <laughs> I was. I was having wall-to-wall moments. It was, oh, gosh. Oh gosh, you've taken me back just it's mentioning so, it. Yeah, it's if people haven't seen it, it's not it's not on that often, unfortunately. But the 
the cast recording is on Spotify and you can get the gist of it because there's a lot of sort of narrative songs. Yes. And it's beautiful. Yes, It's very. beautiful. There's a great song about when the girl sees a lesbian for the first time called A Ring of Keys. <laughs> and she sees some, she sees just a, a delivery woman and she's like, oh, there's someone like me. And it's, and it's like her moment of realising, oh, did you, did you have one of those? Did you have a moment? That's not a question I normally ask, but did you have a moment have where you moment. saw someone that was queer and thought... Oh, it's a possibility. I had a few moments. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. Um, my first moment was my first kind of erection where I was sort of um, <laughs> sort of cognizant of what was going on. Sure. I didn't know that it was arousal quite because I was sure. five, I think, or six. Oh, my goodness. Right, that's very young. And it was inspired by Hunter in The Gladiators. Oh. And... Uh, and I didn't, I couldn't contextualize it, but I just knew it was a lovely feeling in my pants <laughs> that he had created. And, sure. I, and I didn't really get beyond that. Um, that was the first moment. And then there was kind of a dawning on me when I started at Pangborn. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd have been 11 then? At like 11, yeah. yes, about 11, where I thought, yes, this is my orientation. Mm. And then the third and final dawning was to do with my effeminacy and my orientation. And I started to kind of theorize about it when I was about 12 or 13. And I thought, is this a kind of chicken and egg scenario? And then I suddenly thought, well, I have no frame of reference for my orientation mm -hmm. because you know in those days we we didn't especially no, in children's entertainment no, there was not at nothing all. at all and so i think because of that whenever i was watching a film or a play or anything in the arts i would empathize very very strongly with the female lead mm. who was in receipt of the man's affection mm -hmm. and i think Therefore, I always align myself with women. Mm. And I think piecemeal, I behave more and more like a, a woman mm. um, in sort of classical terms. Yes, 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 um, yes, yes. And I, so I think that I realised that there was a correlation between the orientation and between my effeminacy. Mm. But it was almost like a gossamer thread and actually it was more pinned to the biography really mm. than... You know what gave me a stiffy? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Was it a, was it an all boys school that you were at? Well, curiously, it had been until the year I went. <laughs> <laughs> it had just become co-ed, but it was still rather on the wonk because there right, was sure. one girl's house. There were a few girls in each class. Uh, yes, yes, so it was very disproportionate. And did you always seek female friendship? Yes, because of that. Oh, mm. hugely so. Um, I had. A couple of very dear uh, male friends, but the lion's share yeah. were, were female. It sounds like you were sort of quite—I don't know—you were sort of psychoanalyzing yourself from quite a young age, even. <laughs> yes, I but, think I was. But did you? We were you told that you were different before you sort of recognized it in yourself? No, like, I, I, no, I had the realizations. I think before the prejudice came my way. Mm. And then a very interesting thing happened, Susie. Gosh, you've unlocked. 
a cavern of my mind here that hasn't been visited for a while. So all the grey cells are suddenly dancing. Um, something happened when I was about 13 years old. Um, I was living, the closest big town to Pangbourne was Reading. Right. And Reading had just appointed their very first gay bishop. And it was the first time I really became politically aware of the sort of politics of the town and my parents, um, who had already divorced by that stage. And the town was split almost down the middle. Those that were vociferously against his mm. appointment and those that were vociferously for it. Mm. And I thought, well, I must find out which camp my parents are in. So I kept raising this. And I thought, well, if I can sort of... Uh, understand their views on this then it might be a nice precursor to coming out mm. and so I was gently laying the foundations so that I bishop thought, yes yes <laughs> and I think I probed a little bit too extensively about right. the bishop because I got way beyond their mutual approval to the point where they sort of thought, well, we've done that. <laughs> we've right. done the bishop chat. Um, what Does are you, he want what to be a bishop or is he gay? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so then, shortly after my 14th birthday, there was this lovely sunny day where a whole series of odd things happened. My mum had separated from my dad and uh, we were living in a little council estate in Stamford Dingley, which is a kind of a... Uh, vaguely in the purlieu of Pangbourne mm -hmm. and we my siblings weren't there which was very odd my stepdad wasn't there which was very odd and then my mum apropos of nothing seemingly said why don't we go for lunch at the pub which we never did and we walked there and on did that feel way, sort of impossibly grown up Yes, it did feel rather grown up and it just felt rather sort of unwarranted. That was sort of a birthday thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, we were walking down the road and my mum, when she left my dad, she had like umpteen jobs. She was a cleaner. She cut hair. She taught French, did tons of stuff. And she was cutting the hair of a, a family who went to my school. The boys went to my school. And they had a very outspoken mother who I couldn't stand who will remain nameless sure. and uh, she said to my mum while she was cutting the boy's hair uh, out of the blue you do realise Tom's gay don't you and my mum sort of went oh and uh, then she relayed this story to me and I what said what an unkind thing to do yes yes and she barely knew me and I, that was what sort of irked me most I sort of thought she she doesn't have an intimate portrait of me. She doesn't know very much about me. Anyway, so I sort of said, how dare she say that? You know, my life is none of her business and mm -hmm. all of this. And uh, my mum said, well, I quite agree. But since she said it, are you? And I thought, well, it's never going to be laid on a yeah. silver platter for me like this again. So I said, well, yes. And then I can't remember a thing, Susie, about the lunch. Mm. Uh, uh, I can't remember what we ate. I can't remember what was said, anything. Um, but I, my next memory is about three hours later, my mum was sitting in the garden and I brought her a cup of tea and she said, well, you probably get it from me. <laughs> and, and I said, what? And I didn't even know she was talking about that necessarily 
And um, she said, yes, well, you know, I had this affair with so-and-so who was a dear, dear old family friend who I only knew with advanced Parkinson's. And it was very hard for me to imagine. She said, well, I actually lost my virginity to her. And um, and she said, you know, I, I was terribly drawn by her and it was the situation as much as anything. She said, I've never done it before or since um well obviously not before because <laughs> it was her virginity but um i was absolutely fascinated fascinated were you, were you yeah that must were you stunned by that Did that seems so, something that was totally yes i just of... i knew both parties very well and uh it was very hard for me to conjure well i mean but, i don't think don't don't do that too hard well uh, well curiously <laughs> i don't mind thoughts of my family having sex I sort of have quite a, a referred pleasure in it like good for you especially yes, the yes, old absolutely. ones you know oh no absolutely I just mean you don't need to sort of visualize oh it. no corporeally no no not not the whole undulating process no perhaps not perhaps not so but I can cope with moans and groans well I mean and my I good for you to... extends to that <laughs> That's good to know if anyone's ever thinking of becoming a housemate of yours. <laughs> <laughs> so then were you, you were obviously always drawn to the arts. I know you went to Rose Bruford. Yes. Yep. Oh, Susie. Yes, I did. <laughs> I uh, did. That's an inspirational place to go because it's set in this huge sprawling park called Le Morby Park, which is teeming with Canadian geese. And all the studios are glass on one side fully glass on one side and so you get to watch these beautiful creatures roaming about and being very very noisy <laughs> um and it's incredibly pretty and lots of daffodils and crocuses and mm. it's wonderful you touched on it earlier about sort of being cast against type yes. was it sort of made as as plain to you as it was to me that coming out was an absolute no-no in the industry as such. There was something that was said to me, oh, twice actually, once at Rose Bruford and once at the Royal Academy, where it, it, almost verbatim the same thing was said, where the the tutor said, you have an especially difficult job because you have to act before you go into the room. Because if you start playing the role when they ask you to start, they already won't believe you. So your performance begins at the door. And that, I, especially since <laughs> I didn't want those roles anyway, yes. and I was interminably, it seemed, being made to play them, mm. I sort of felt a bit crestfallen then because I sort of thought well that doesn't appeal to me and the role doesn't either so I'm sort of doing this two-pronged battle and for what mm. you know there didn't seem to be a handsome payoff for me no anywhere. and it feels like I feel like with the teacher that said something sort of relatively similar to me yes it was it was it was coming from a good place Yes, because they there was uh, well they wanted me to work exactly there was an understanding that you know this is but it was sort of I don't know did it feel like this for you that it it was sort of someone saying there's still something not quite right about you just going into the room as yourself yes 
Did you get that? Yes, it did feel like that. And it felt like an underestimation of everyone. Yes. Um, of the panel. Yes. Who were, you know, in this fictitious scenario yes. auditioning me. Of their... In my mind, they're the people in Flashdance. <laughs> just so that everyone's got an image. <laughs> it's a really long table. Loads of people. Far, far more people than you'd ever have at a casting. But their kind of total inability to forget my wildly flamboyant six second entrance yes you're hello i'm <laughs> into Tom. the room yes um and of me as an actor mm-hmm. yes i it felt it felt a little bit lowest common denominator mm. in a way yes you know that's how i felt too yeah it really is when you were still at school before you went off to rosebury you said you had a couple of male friends and then you were sort of friendlier with the girls did you feel like you sort of had your people Yes, I think also, girl, oh, I mean, it's such a cliche to say mm-hmm. girls grow up faster, but you sort of felt when you were in their orbit mm-hmm. that they were completely unflappable, unabashed about everything, yes. more candid about everything. And so uh, seven of the veils just lifted mm. automatically, Yeah, you know, and I, I found that wonderfully kind of emancipating in a way and were you out at that point yes i think the first we had a group of friends uh, rather modestly called the sexy six (laughs) (laughs) we were anything but i can assure you (laughs) but um uh, i think the appellation helped us grow an inch you know susie (laughs) and uh, and they were a lovely lovely group and we shared everything Mm. and you know, it's a cycle when you share. Yes. Because the more you share, the more you're inclined to share. And the more they share. Yes. And then you're in a sharing cycle. Oh, you can't you help yourself. It's like the boy that takes the finger out of the dike and out gushes <laughs> all these seats. Don't talk about know? that with me. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> oh, sorry. oh, no, you made me snort. <laughs> we'll definitely keep that in just so people know that you're human. <laughs> Uh, Catherine Hepburn snorts. Okay, fine. <laughs> I don't know or did snort. Oh, yeah. She's very, very dead. Psychic Sally's here again. Yeah. <laughs> what is my obsession with dead women? Dead well, actresses. Well, I think yeah. I, I'm obsessed with them too, don't worry. Yes. yes my, when, as a yes. teenager, my walls were completely covered with, uh, <gasps> with Audrey him. Hepburn. Oh, Audrey. But but never the things that people... not. I didn't want any pictures from Breakfast at Tiffany's. I wanted Sabrina things. Fair? Yes, oh, and from Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday. That's, all I wanted was her on a Vespa. Rome or asleep on a, on a bench, yes. Um, so, uh, oh God, time just flies uh, when I'm talking to you, Tom. Oh, um, Susie. So you, I know that you graduated yes. from, you went, did you go straight from Rose Bluford to the Royal Academy? There was a year in between. We had this wonderful teacher um, who taught a class called Acting Through Song. His name was mm. Andrew Friesner. And uh, he said to me and to a dear friend of mine, Amanda, he said, I think you two ought to train in musical theatre. Mm. And he said, I also teach one day a week on a course at the Royal Academy and I'd like to recommend you for it. Mm. And he said, I'll make it very easy. I'll tell you what to say, what to sing. Oh, great. Everything. I'll coach you. And she said, yes, uh, quick as you like and I said well I'm afraid I've got a bit allergic to training the kind of psychoanalytical mm. yes. part of it I didn't like 
that sort of break you down and build yes, you up. Which yes, which I always and still feel is unnecessary. Absolute crap. Absolute crap. Just um, act. Just act. <laughs> just act. So I needed a year, but I didn't say absolutely no. And then after a year... I came back and I said, I think I'd rather like to, especially mm. since the course at the academy to this day is just one year. Right, um, that's great. Yeah, so, I've got one of my best friends did it as well. Oh, really? Jenny Bede. I don't know if you've oh, ever come I across Jenny. She's a, she's a musical comedian now, but she's fabulous. She's brilliant. Oh, what a great niche. That's yes. fantastic. Yeah, she's really great. And then obviously you worked and you sort of, tra- it seemed yes. like you travelled. Did you do a show in Dubai? Yes, I did a lot of acting, but curiously, very seldom in musicals. Oh, really? I, I would do concerts yes and then plays uh but yes i i did a lot of work all over the country i got to know our lovely isles very very well in that time yes touring in the cat in the hat and an awful francis durbridge murder mystery called sweet revenge (laughs) where i was a very unlikely suspect i mean i was meant to be unlikely but i i made it (laughs) particularly (laughs) unlikely (laughs) I'm not sure how good an actor I was, but uh, I always, always loved telling stories. Mm. And when I went into television, I sort of thought, well, that element I've got to retain a bit, that kind of Mm. communication element. Yes. um, Which I find very satisfying. Do you ever sing now? Uh, I'm singing on Monday. I'm singing Centrepoint are doing a big concert to celebrate what would have been Judy Garland's 100th birthday. Oh, great. And uh, a whole group of us, Sophie Ellis-Bexter and Bonnie Langford and... Very um, gay. (laughs) Very, very very gay. gay. Um, Gayer than this podcast, if you can imagine such a thing. (laughs) And I'm the gayest of all because I'm doing her very obscure last movie, which was called... I could go on singing with Dirk Bogart, if you please. Wow. Um, and I'm singing a song called Hello, Bluebird, mm. and then doing a tiny bit of text from it, too. Mm. Yeah. How lovely. Yeah. And so before we go, I thought it'd be yes. a nice opportunity to talk about your books as well, because I know they've oh, both Susan. just come out in time for Christmas. Yes. How handy. <laughs> yes, contemporaneously. Yes, <laughs> yes. So when I was sort of reading up on you, and I've been like, and I've, and I've been a big fan of your Instagram page, of your word of the day for good couple of years well, now right back at you Kira. well i love your pets. Tra- trying to sort of learn as much as i can through instagram <laughs> <laughs> have you always felt sort of found great sort of solace in language it's funny you say about the when you got into television and talking about sort of communicating with people because how you communicate language makes it feel very sort of achievable to be able to to sort of increase your vocabulary i think a lot of the time that sometimes when you're you know, if you say to someone, oh, it's a book all about words, you might go, oh, well, I don't know whether I can do that and I don't know if I'm clever yes. enough to do that. But you've got a great skill, I think, of being able to th- make things feel very, I don't know, near. Well, like it's achievable, yeah, as I said. That is music to my ears oh, because good. because really uh, that's my sort of, that's my mission in a way. I I think of language as a kind of, benign lovely universal currency Mm -hmm. that we all have access to and i hate that some people feel that certain tiers of language are kind of highfalutin and Mm -hmm. not for them 
And I think the way to unlock that is etymology, which also sounds like a very complicated word, but it's the study of the kind of the roots yes. of words. And so I always kind of access a word that way and break it into its constituent parts so that you get the word story. And I found this very helpful with children mm. because they retain not only the word, but the spelling. Um, and so that's what I do in both books, but especially in the children's book yes. and through the prism of poems. So, I mean, for example, um, oh, well, why don't we do, I'll do bloomers because please. I think you might like bloomers. Yes, I, yes, please. Um, Amelia Bloomer was born in the States in 1818 in May. Well, now that you know her name and her dates, what else is there here to say? <laughs> she stood up for women and fought for their rights by speaking and writing with passion. And something important she had in her sights was bringing them freedom through fashion. She campaigned for clothes that were roomy and loose, a new kind of ankle-length knickers. <laughs> and bearing her name, they were soon in wide use, in spite of some naysayers' snickers. <laughs> I also have to say, Susie, there's Fabulous. a very nice smell in here. Did you wash your hair last night? Yes. Well, this morning, why? This morning? Yes. Oh, that explains it. Rub-a-dub-dub, -dub, you're in the tub, <laughs> having a wash and a brush and a scrub. And as you lather your beautiful tresses, it's not your shampoo, but your delicate presses that gave us that ancient Hindi word. The meaning of champo has slowly transferred from kneading and gently massaging your head to the liquid you use when you do it instead. Very good, Tom. Very good. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, there we go. There's there's two books for everyone to get the, the child and the yes. adult in their life. Yes. And the adult one is just teeming with smut, I'm afraid. Oh, so well, that's... It's, it's mostly unrepeatable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is ideal for this podcast. <laughs> oh, I've loved talking to you. Now, what we do at the end of the show... Yes. And um, I'm thinking about... I'm maybe thinking about the version of Tom uh, when you first went to... When you first went to your secondary school and you realised that you were... I mean, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you realise that you were sort of other? I yes. quite like the word other. Yes. It's, I, I sort of embrace the word other because yes. I would hate to be Well, it's a same. word that you stand on two sides of, isn't it? Yes. It's the thing that you rail against and, yes. then, and then you are rather grateful for once yes. you've passed through it. Yes, know? absolutely. But so I'm thinking of, of that version of Tom that didn't know that the uniforms were going to be itchy <laughs> and that there was marching at eight o'clock. <laughs> and uh, that it was going to be quite like it was. Yes. If you could reach out to him, or indeed someone maybe that's listening to this show that that maybe has recently gone up to secondary school, or even someone that's about to start a new job, or just has, has that shift where they're going somewhere else. Yes. And if you could reach out to them and give them a bit of advice or a bit of help, and it can be to do with coming out, or it can just be to do with, with sort of any part of your journey, yes. well, what would you say? I'd say celebrate your idiosyncrasies I, I think people often when they're feeling uncomfortable regard them as creases in their fabric that mm. they'd like to iron out mm. and actually they are the most beautiful things uh, once you start to celebrate them and once you do and this is the crucial thing I believe all the people that matter in your orbit will too the ones that don't will peel off mm -hmm. but the ones that really matter will 
celebrate them too. Perfect. Perfect. The only thing that I have to tell you now is I was once in a sauna with Eureka Johnson and Hunter. (gasps) (laughs) And we'll end the show there. (laughs) Because I can't talk. (laughs) That was the marvellous Tom Reed Wilson. I hope that you have a brilliant week. I'll be back next week and I think we're releasing the live show. That's my episode with the brilliant Owen Jones. But that's all from me this week. I will speak to you next week. Take care and goodbye. (laughs) 